0: Hello, and welcome to Thrive, a podcast that gives you strategies and inspiration to help you live your best life.
1: Learn from us, two cancer survivors, as we show you how we don't just survive, but thrive. Hi, I'm Dara Kurtz, author, speaker, and creator of crazyperfectlife.com. I help people learn how to bring more joy into their lives, find meaning each day, and connect with the people they love.
0: Hi, I'm Garth Callahan. I am a seven-ton cancer thriver, but more importantly... I am also the original napkin notes dad. I've been writing notes to my daughter, Emma, and sticking them into our lunch ever since kindergarten. I am so happy today to have such a special guest. And I know that this is going to sound really weird because my guest is actually a regular on the Thrive podcast, but I have today Dara, who is about to publish her second book. And it's very exciting. And so I... You know, we're switching things up a little bit, which is not unusual for the Thrive Podcast, but I'm actually going to be interviewing Dara today about her wonderful book, which comes out on September 1st. It's available through her website, crazyperfectlife.com, and of course, on amazon.com. But if you go to her website, you'll get five free gifts that are available for immediate download. So that's probably the better option right now. And I'd like to give a warm, heartfelt welcome to my podcast partner, Dara.
1: Hi, thanks Garth. I'm so happy to be here.
0: <laughs> so, I have to tell you, Dara, this morning I was so disappointed. I was downstairs pouring some coffee and I had this brainstorm and I had I wished that I had thought ahead of time because I don't actually own these, but I really wanted to get like traditional old school male pajamas like I with knew the you were white piping. And and I was like, oh, I really should wear pajamas for this podcast episode, but I don't actually own any pajamas.
1: Okay, that is so funny because today I was like, I am going to definitely get dressed and put makeup on because, okay, Garth does not like it when I show up to our podcast in my pajamas, literally like not having brushed my hair. Because, and you've told me this before, because it like affects the way... Because you feel like when you're at work, you should look like you're at work. I mean, and I re- I respect that. So anyway, I made it <laughs> you,
0: re- you you respect it, but not enough to actually get dressed.
1: I made it- hey, <laughs> today wearing today. clothes and makeup. That's like is, a double win.
0: This is a major major success yeah. story. So interestingly enough, as you know, I received two copies of your book, which kind of threw me off for a second, right? But that was that totally ins-
1: my fault too.
0: That's okay. Uh, You know, what was was great is we'll give one of the copies away, right? So that'll be a a great gift for our listeners. But because I received two copies, I actually decided to read your book twice.
1: Oh, wow. Thank you. I know that you don't have a lot of free time. And so that was really kind and thoughtful of you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Well, and so what got my mind there was obviously the having two copies. I I did only read one copy twice, right? So I didn't thaw through both. (laughs) Um, I decided that I wanted to read it first from a viewpoint of somebody who doesn't know you at all. And I have to tell you, that was was hard, right? Because I do know you. And I found myself kind of slipping into the, I know Dara. I know what she's going through. I understand. And really had to pull myself back from that because I, I wanted so much to see you through the eyes of somebody who is picking up the book for the first time and doesn't know you at all. And then the second time, I got the pleasure of, you know, reading it as somebody who is really close to you, somebody who, for the most part, we talk every week, sometimes multiple times a week, we kind of mentor each other. Although, you know, some would say that you probably mentor me more than the other way around.
1: I don't think that's true, but <laughs> we know each other really well. I think that's, yes. yeah, for sure.
0: And, and I have to say the second time was a little bit more enjoyable also because I was taking some notes and I wanted to make sure that I had good questions to ask and things like that. So, Thank um, you for and,
1: doing and that. I appreciate
0: it. It was my pleasure. So it's been a while since I've teared up on the Thrive podcast. And I actually just even talking to you this little brief introduction, I've got I can feel a little bit of wetness in my left eye. And part of it was and and I'm going to save this to the end, but I felt like we have really lived similar paths. But now that I think about it even more, they're very dissimilar. And I want to save that to the end. So we're going to start off with something that's like really easy, like, you know, soft down the middle pitch. Okay. Okay. So I have to tell you one of my favorite things of the book, and I know this is going to seem so silly, but it was the recipes.
1: Oh, really?
0: Yes. I so much want to make those potatoes. I don't know why. I mean, I, they're okay. so
1: good actually. So <laughs> for those of you who don't know, the book is about my mom and my two grandmothers who have all sadly passed away. And I found as a black bag of letters that were written to me when I was nine years old until I graduated from college and they were mostly written by my mom and my grandmothers. And so I knew that I had the Ziploc bag in my house, but I hadn't been able to have the courage to open it up and read the letters until thanks to a random discovery, I finally decided that I really wanted to know what these letters said. So I opened the letters, and I reread them, and I was blown away by the relevancy, the wisdom. I felt like I was having a conversation with my mom. I could hear her words. I could feel her personality, and it's been 20 years since my mom passed away, and it's been really one of the greatest challenges of my adult life is learning to live in the world without having her, and having these letters and hearing her voice and getting a glimpse into kind of the person she was when she was around my age, because, you know, when I initially received those letters, I was a child. Now I'm a mature woman. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, the point is, is that it really gave me a glimpse into who she was, and it was such a gift. And so the book has a recipe from my mom and my grandmothers, because it talks a lot about tradition and connection from one generation to the next and kind of weaving the past with the present. And and, and
0: food is a universal tradition, right? So families grow up and whether it's food that they loved or food that they hate, right? Nobody ever talks about like the middle of the road dinners that you have every night, but it's always the favorite dinners or the dinners that you hated the most. And there are those traditions that I think especially... Americans have built around holidays and food and and family gatherings. And I think
1: it was so much more important to my grandmother's because they didn't really work. I mean, they did work outside of the home a little bit, but a lot of volunteer work. And my grandmother was a secretary. One of them was a secretary. But food and preparing meals for their family was like probably they viewed one of the most important jobs in their
0: life. I think especially for our grandparents generation food had a very different, you know, there was a different aura about it. Sometimes food was scarce, sometimes, you know, and and obviously I don't think that there was so much attention into Multiple types of ingredients or multiple types of culture foods. And really, you know, if you take a look at my family, I'm sure it's very similar in your family that there were some very traditional foods based on your family history, based on your geography. And you probably didn't venture out of that comfort area that much, especially, you know, the further back we go. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this just because I I want people to go open up the book and see what these recipes are. But I have to say, honestly, I was reading through this and I thought, oh my goodness, a whole box of instant potatoes. Like (laughs) how many potatoes does this make for crying out loud? And I like, I love, I know this is going to sound like, I love instant potatoes because there's no lumps. They're so creamy. You crops used to have these Duchess potatoes that were half instant potatoes. And I don't know that I'm going to have time to make these potatoes this week because we're getting ready to ship Emma back to college, but it's definitely on my list to like, try these, like as the moment that I have a free minute in the kitchen. I can't wait.
1: Oh, you will love them. But honestly I do, when I make them, you can use real potatoes too.
0: Yeah. I, understand. You know?
1: I mean, honestly, like whenever I make that, if I have to take something somewhere, that's the recipe I take. And people think that I'm like a rock star and it's so easy.
0: I really can't wait. And I, I don't know, all I could think of as I was reading that section, Dara, was okay, so I know you probably aren't in a position to like think about a third book being a cookbook, but I would really encourage you to like put all of your family recipes together. Um, that's something I've been doing too, and and also then trying them, right? Because there's some family recipes I look at and I think, ooh. But obviously, previous generations love them enough to That's write. That's
1: a down. fun idea. Yeah. I'll, well, I think we should consider talking about that again one day.
0: Okay. Well, let's write that down. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, when I was going through the book the first time, the thing that really stood out to me was the fact that there's this multi generational aspect, and the generations are tied together through letters and notes. Whether it was your grandparents, your grandmothers writing to you, or your mom writing to you, you writing to your mom, the special notebooks, the mommy-daughter notebooks that you had been writing with your daughters, which I want to explore that because I think that that's a fantastic idea in today's world. But I don't want to give the listeners the impression that your family was like always sitting down with pen and paper, right? Because it's not that you were prolific writers. You happened to capture a lot in your book, but you were routine writers right it made sense when something important needed to be said or when you needed to connect with the other person that that letter or that note was written so it's not like it was you know they were sitting down with pen and paper for five hours a day writing no
1: no I mean I, I think back in the day look back in the day when I was nine and I went to sleepaway camp for the first time there were no cell phones and there were no faxes like meaning the parent couldn't just send a fax to the camp or just there weren't that we didn't have texting or email. I mean, these were the dark ages, but (laughs) what it meant is that our parents really did take the time to write us a letter so that we being at camp or even when I was in college, would have something from home. And when I was in college, yes, of course, we had the telephone, but it was expensive to call Really expensive. Yeah, it really was. My dad definitely, like, encouraged my mom and I to try to write a letter to each other more than, you know, it was so easy to pick up the phone. But the whole point is that because letter writing was really the greatest form of communication. When you weren't with the person, it made it so that was just sort of like, okay, my kid's at camp. I'm going to send her a couple, few letters every week. So she'll have something from home. And what that meant for me, thank goodness I saved the letters is that now I have this, these treasures that, you know, I don't think my daughter's necessarily have from me when they went to camp, because when they went to camp, a lot of times they just had their cell phones and we texted, or I could send a fax to them or an email. And so it kind of made me realize just the value in taking the time to write a letter. And you and I, you know, look, you're the napkin notes dad. And I'm the kind of person that I've always written little notes to people like, you know, if my daughters were going somewhere, I would write a note and put it in their suitcase. If John was going out of town for business for a weekend or whatever, I would write something and put it in his suitcase. It's just kind of always been something that I've done. And I think you're the same way. And it's just kind of giving someone the gift of receiving words from your heart at that moment in time.
0: And, you know, there's this other thing, and and I'll talk about this when we start to talk about some of the ways that people keep in touch currently. But there's really something about having, like what you have now, these tangible, right? They're, they're physical. You can touch them. You can see your, your mom's handwriting. You know, there's something that always has struck me when I write H's and especially THs, my H looks like my dad's handwriting. And I wouldn't know that had I not seen him sign his name, or I had not seen his handwriting in the letter. I fall back on that. I fall back on the fact that there are, you know, right now in my daughter's car, there are a couple of napkin notes that she's kind of like stuck in the door pocket. And I don't know if she's put them there because she forgot them, or if they're there because they, you know, they're meant to be there. But again, there are these physical, tangible pieces of connection. You know, it's not that it's a letter, it's that it's a connection to that person's heart and soul.
1: exactly. I mean, that's it right there. It's a connection to that person's heart and soul,
0: which, which, you know, in, in your case, you know, you're, you're talking about your, your mom and your grandmothers. That's the connection that you have. Yeah, that's it.
1: Yeah, that's it. And, you know, for so many years, like I said, my mom passed away a few weeks after I had Zoe, my first child, and it was just, really two extremes, this complete joy of having a new baby and then this just feeling of complete sadness and just sorrow at having lost my mom and just kind of navigating the past 20 years. I've felt such joy and happiness at being a mom, but I've missed having my mom through all of those important moments and even just the normal day-to-day life events It's been really hard. And so to have these letters now, it's such a gift. Also, for my daughters to kind of get more of a glimpse into my mom's personality through reading a letter or hearing her words or seeing her handwriting, it's just another way to connect my daughters to my mom and for me to hear her words. And really, a lot of what she said in the letters I needed to hear because I was in a place that I was stuck in grief for a really long time. To be honest, I didn't fully understand that until I opened that Ziploc bag of letters until I started reading what she had to say. And that helped me really kind of make peace with her death. And it's taken me 20 years to kind of get to a place where I could do that.
0: I think that that was really compounded, too, by the fact that she passed away right as, you know, your daughter was being born, you know, your first child. Right. So, you know, you there's this certain expectation, I think, especially in our generation that, you know, grandparents are going to be around. And that they're not just around for emotional and spiritual support, but they're around for even physical support, right? Helping out with a new baby and whatnot. And that really resonated with me because both of Emma's grandfathers passed away when she was young and they were great, right? They were great with her. They sat down on the ground and they played with her and they colored with her and they paid attention to her. And then suddenly that was kind of like ripped away. And that's a big, big loss and something that I don't know my grandparents passed away when I was older. Yeah. Um, my my so,
1: grandmothers, fortunately, they passed away when I was older as well. They outlived my mom. And, yeah. you know, that was a blessing for me to have them in my life. But then each time one of them passed away, it was almost kind of like I felt that loss of my mom and then them even so much more.
0: It just reopened that. Old it did.
1: Year. It really did. Yeah.
0: Why, why did you write this book, Dara? Because let me tell you, You put yourself in a very vulnerable position by opening up and sharing your emotions and very private thoughts and feelings. This is a book that really allows the reader to peer into who you are. That is a very exposing position. It's very brave to do that.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that a lot. It means a lot for me. I wasn't planning on writing this book. I was working on something else when this whole thing happened and I just kept feeling like there was a book there. There was a book there. I just kept feeling like I needed to play around with it. I needed to sort of see what I could do, what I could come up with. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, I wrote it for for people who have loved and lost, for people who maybe their hearts are hurting, for people who they might be stuck in grief and they don't know how to move through it, or they love people, but they aren't connected to them anymore. And maybe this is a little push to help them reconnect to the people that they're blessed to have in their lives and not take it for granted and help people see that, you know, it takes effort to have a close relationship with anyone. And just a little bit of effort can go a long way. But at the end of the day, it's really the relationships we have with the people in our lives that matter the most. Period. End of discussion. I mean, you can have all the most beautiful treasures in your life. You can have a great job. You know, you can have an impressive position, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, it's really the people in your life that you care about and that care about you that matters the most. And I hope that this book helps people see that and maybe helps them figure out a way that they can grow their relationships and connect more with the people they care about and even intentionally think about how to connect the past generations of the people maybe that they've loved and lost with maybe the people that they have in their lives today and for future generations in their family as well, like how to kind of bridge that all together.
0: And let's be honest, although the book has a lot of very heavy themes, there's a lot of humor that ties it together. There's a lot of good things, good, happy, heartfelt, warm feelings. I have to say like, Reading your grandmother's notes to you, I definitely had a an impression that their messages were a little bit more uplifting or not, not like in a motivational or inspirational, but just a much more, hey, way to go, Dara tone. And there was one, I'm going to read it because I actually laughed out loud. And I know Dara's always get this looks on her face like she's like, I never know what Garth is going to No, I do. think
1: I know what you're going to say, but I'm, I'm going to see.
0: And I'm going to try to read it in the tone that I read it. Mm -hmm. So what I imagined was your grandmother, like on this lounge chair with kind of a, a nice hat with big feathers on it in like the 1930s or something like that. And she was like, and this is Words of Wisdom from Grandma Margaret, 1985. Be rather selective with whom you become really close with. It is good to be friendly with everybody, but you know what I mean, darling. (laughs) <laughs> that's how I read it. <laughs> like I read it, like, I read it like she was a movie star.
1: She would love that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I just, I, as I was going through this, I thought, oh my goodness, what? And, and I know that that's probably not the tone that she had, but I can just imagine like what it would feel to me to get a little nugget of advice from a grandparent like that. And it's entirely possible that you might not have even appreciated that message back in 1985.
1: Garth, I didn't appreciate any of the messages when I received these letters initially at all.
0: And what were you like, 13 or 14 in 1985?
1: when I went to camp for the first time. I was more excited to just the actual act of opening a letter, getting a stick of gum in the envelope or, you know, maybe a dollar bill or whatever. I read the letter, quickly put it away. No, none of this meant anything to me until through my adult eyes. But yeah, that was a funny one. I know.
0: So I have to tell you, I, I also reluctantly went to camp as a child. When I was in, I guess, maybe 10, 11-ish or so, I went to Boy Scout camp or Cub Scout camp. Usually it was with my dad, right? It was always like a father-son type of a weekend. It was never a week. So it wasn't really like camp away from home, per se, because there was a, my dad there. And I don't think I went to Boy Scout camp for a week until I was probably 13 or 14 and hated it because, you know, you're actually sleeping in tents outside, lots of bugs and things like that. And there was a Catholic camp in the village where I was born, and my parents had actively campaigned for me to go there. And I was like you in that, you know, I dug my heels in and I said no. And my parents did not force me when I finally went I was probably 14 or so and really enjoyed it. However, I am positive that I didn't get any letters because it was only a week.
1: Mm, Yeah.
0: Right. So, you know, by the time I got there and got settled in, I was packing to go home.
1: Yep. It was time to go.
0: And I think that, you know, that was a really interesting difference between your camp experience and my camp experience that I, you know, and even Emma when she did go away to camp once it was a week event and it wasn't like this whole we're going to pack up the kids and ship them off for the summer type of thing uh, whether they like it or not and i can't imagine like the anticipation of mail call and what that would be like with having you know who who knows hundreds of kids just waiting to see what mail came in that day
1: yeah, it was actually a pretty big deal back in the day. And even yeah. when I was in college, I remember going into my sorority house for lunch and always so excited to check my little mail cubby, You know, eat lunch, check the mail cubby, head off to class. But I loved getting letters from home, even then.
0: My college mailbox, my very first college mailbox, that number is burned in my head. Yeah, was, I know, you know right? 30, 33 years ago or whatever. And it was the same thing, right? I would I would go there every day, even knowing that if I had just gotten a letter, there was probably not an, another letter the next day. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I'm gonna say I was I don't know that I was a good return writer.
1: I definitely wasn't, to be honest with you. But I didn't get it until yeah. now.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, that's that's the shame that our as a youth, you know, we don't quite we don't recognize we don't see that value per se. I want to talk about something that's a little bit, might be a little hard because there's this underlying tone of guilt through the book. And you have felt guilty for a lot of different things. And you talk about it being this, you know, there's a certain mix of Jewish guilt and guilt for um, having gone through cancer and how that's impacted your family and especially your daughters. But you also have been able to take that and shape it into something that is healthy and something that has been a positive force in your life recently. What I really want to hear from you is, you know, especially for our listeners, how do you get from that point of guilt being a negative and something that is really draining energy in your life to how you can recognize where that guilt is and and not, not let it take away from you.
1: So I definitely had a lot of guilt in my life. And I don't think I even understood that until I wrote this book. And, you know, that's the whole thing. Sometimes it takes kind of stepping back or letting time go by until, and then maybe having the courage to sort of revisit things that we truly see sort of what's been going on. But I had a lot of guilt growing up, just guilt about everything. And, you know, I joke about the whole Jewish guilt thing. And, but it's, I mean, it's real, it's there, you know, the Jewish mom kind of making you feel bad about, oh, you know, you don't have to call your grandmother, but it's not like she, you know, is home in her house by herself, not seeing it, you know, it's just that kind of stuff. But I felt really guilty. I felt really guilty about the cancer diagnosis that my mom had versus the cancer diagnosis that I had. And I didn't fully understand that until really I was writing this book. And when my mom passed away from cancer 20 years ago, it was melanoma, which is a form of skin cancer. And same weekend I found out I was pregnant. We found out she had stage four melanoma and it was all over her body. And, She had a little bit of, at the time there hadn't been hardly any research done in that space. And she had like one treatment option that she could do with a terrible, terrible statistics. But she was like, I remember hearing her say, you know, I'm going to fight, I'm going to beat this, I'm going to do it. And then fast forward, when I went through breast cancer six and a half years ago, I found myself thank goodness, luckily, in a space where, you know, I had found it, we found it relatively early. There's been so much research done in the breast cancer space, you know, blah, blah, blah. But when I was going through the treatment, I was reliving a lot of what I had seen with my mom and I didn't realize it. And so I was making like the whole entire year of treatment, like, you know, I went through surgery and then chemo and then radiation and then a little more surgery, but, and it it took about a year to get, get through all that. But the whole time I was like kind of processing what my mom had been through and I didn't really see that. I didn't get it because I was kind of so stuck in it. And so I had a lot of guilt about that, a lot of guilt about, you know, why did I have this diagnosis or why why did I survive and my mom not? You know, how come I'm living today and she got this awful cancer diagnosis and passed away and then just the whole, okay, my daughters have to have a mom that is sick and going through cancer. Well, I know how much it sucks to have a mom who's sick and going through cancer. And then just the guilt about that. And then just, you know, that fear of, I know how sucky it is to have your mom pass away and not have her in your life. And then that whole, oh my goodness, what if something like, what if that happens to me and my daughters have to raise their kids and not have their mom? I mean, there's just so much there. It's been a lot. It's been really hard, but I feel like you can't move through something if you don't see that it's there. And so it's been a really big blessing for me to give myself permission. That's the big thing right there. Give myself permission to sort of accept, okay, accept what happened, accept the way I handled it. And give myself permission to release it all, to let it go, you know, to move on. And that doesn't mean that I move on and I don't take my mom or my grandmother's with me. That just means I move on and I choose to remember the good times and let go of the guilt, the sadness.
0: And I think, you know, one thing to remember, and, and I think you've done a good job at this too, is that sometimes, you know, when you talk about being in the midst of your cancer struggle, it's really difficult to see out of that struggle until you've had the chance to actually get out of it.
1: Or just anything that you're going through. I mean, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure.
0: Um, On a really, really positive note, one of the greatest things that I think you've done throughout the book is that you have not let the reader kind of dangle. So, When you talk about struggles that you've had or problems that you've encountered or things that are challenges in your life, you then say, and by the way, here are the ways that I have been able to work on these and I've been able to get through some of these struggles or problems. And the book is filled with pages and pages of tips and tricks and hints and I know that this wasn't directed specifically at me, but you have a whole lot about meditation and how much that that plays in your life. But but it's not just meditation. It's the, you know, building family traditions and writing letters. You know, just all of these, you know, on the Thrive Podcast, they're the extra nuggets of goodness, right? They're the extra thriving tips. But your book is actually filled with with these and it turns what can be a really difficult story into something that is also instructional for the reader something that admittedly you and i have talked for years about how much i need a a meditation practice and i'll revisit that again and we'll see what that looks like but even something as simple as daily gratitude right? Which I know that you and I have talked about that so much, but when I saw it in your book, it just, it made my heart swell because I think, you know what, maybe, maybe everybody doesn't practice daily gratitude.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, of course everyone doesn't practice daily gratitude. And for me, just, I didn't have these tools as I navigated through my life. There are tools that I really have learned since I went through breast cancer. So All of this is kind of, these are things that probably would have absolutely helped me over the last 20 years, try to find my peace as I was dealing with the loss of my mom, for sure. But I don't, you know, it is what it is. And I'm so grateful that I have them now. If it can make uh, someone else's journey a little bit easier, great. That's the whole point.
0: Right. right. And I think that that's something I have done mentally for a really long time, but I've also started to write them down. So I started journaling a little bit this summer just to kind of keep my life on track and my mind on track. And I didn't necessarily do this on purpose, but there was one day that I was having a particularly difficult day and things just weren't working out that day. And so I drew a little box next to my to-do list and I wrote down three things. Uh, that I was grateful for that day and then I did it again the next day and then I did it again the next day and so even though I do believe that I practice daily gratitude I wasn't putting that tangible worth to it and I was doing it mentally in my head but physically writing it down and giving it some thought and not just you know it's like saying oh thank you that I didn't hit a red light but literally even if I wrote that down that changes the value of the gratitude and also helps me reflect on what that daily gratitude could be. And I work really hard sometimes to find three things that I'm grateful for that day. And I hope that the readers can come away with one of these nuggets, even if they implement one tip or trick or hint into their lives, their daily enjoyment, their daily happiness of life will be greater because of you.
1: Hmm, thank you.
0: Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, uh, do you like how much I'm layering on the praise? <laughs>
1: well, okay, so I just want to say this. Hold on, I'm going to pull up my phone. And oh, gonna- I
0: know where you're going. <laughs> i
1: will pull up some, a text message from Garth, okay? So, first of all, Garth is not always the best texter back, and that's okay. I
0: am I mean, not a good texter returner. I believe in asynchronous communication, which means I'll I'll reply when I get to it.
1: All right. But I want to find this because, okay, so he got my book, you know, obviously he got two copies, but whatever. I sent him a text. Happy weekend. Did you read my book? Okay. So a lot of people that have, (laughs) hush, a lot of people that have received copies of my book early are not one of my best friends, right? So Garth is one of my best friends. So, you know, I think it's not crazy for me to text him. Did you read my book? Because, you know, I'm a little insecure, right? Like I put my whole everything out there. He said, I finished last night. It was heavy. I wasn't sure how to feel. Okay. (laughs) That's what he said. Okay. So let me just reiterate. Hardly anyone that I've sent or my publisher has sent books out to are my best friend. Only Garth. Did you read my book? I finished last night. It was heavy. I wasn't sure how to feel. So here's my response. And I'm <laughs> going to say this on our podcast because it's it's my podcast too. I said, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> and he says, no, no, that's not it. I felt you. And then I said, I don't know what you're saying. Right? Like, I just want him to say the words, Dora, I loved your book. And then finally, I loved it. I could feel you as I read it. You made me feel as if I were you. That's a good thing. And then I'm like, woo. <laughs> anyway, the whole point is, is like, I was just like, did you like the book? <laughs>
0: I, I have to tell you, I am generally pretty clueless when it comes to things like standard social conventions. <laughs> When you texted me, I, I knew two things. One is that I don't think that I could adequately convey what I had gone through reading the book, especially that first time, because it was I was trying to read it as a non-Dara fan. But also, I didn't think, oh, Dara just wants to you know a thumbs up or thumbs down. I really wasn't thinking in think that, that? Vein. Okay. No. And then I was like, well... I know how Dara also is because any time that we've done anything like this, she's like, no, 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 save the conversation for the podcast True. because I want it to be genuine. And I'm like, uh, uh, and I'm looking at my phone and I'm like, uh, and I should have just done like a little thumbs up emoji and well, said, okay. yay.
1: But you know, the thing is, is like Garth and I haven't talked about this at all. We right. This is the first time we talked about my book. So, I mean, honestly, Garth, did you like my book?
0: Oh, yes, I absolutely loved it. I loved it enough to read it twice. Okay. Right, and and so and and you know how little time I have to read. I know
1: how little time you have. Yeah,
0: and so and up until this point, Dara and I, the only discussion that we've ever had about her book was the cover treatment. It was Uh,
1: also the text that I just read to you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and that text, and and I have to tell you, just on a, a very superficial note, like I love the cover treatment. I love the colors. I love there's some symbolism that is maybe unintentional there about the orientation of the portraits. I just, whoever the decision no was for this, right. <laughs> well, yeah. Oh, and I didn't either on my book, right? Yeah, so yeah. that just, that whoever did this really yeah, took I'm their so time. Happy with
1: it. I feel so blessed to have gotten to write this book, to be perfectly honest with you. It's not something that I ever thought I was going to be able to do. And you know, I read it. I read it for it was a way for me to honor my mom and honor moms everywhere and, you know, honor daughters everywhere who maybe are growing up without their mom. You know, these are hard times, and a lot of people, they don't have their mom or they don't have a good relationship with their mom, or maybe they've recently lost their mom, or maybe they don't appreciate their mom. Just all of these things. So, I mean, I read this book.
0: That's something to really think about in that, you know, Relationships are hard. Exactly. Family relationships are even more difficult. They
1: are. Yeah, Um, they are. And nothing's perfect.
0: Right. I alluded to this in the beginning and and how I felt like our lives had been on very similar paths. Right. So I grew up with Catholic guilt, Hmm. um, a very strong Catholic family. Right. Like I went to mass, not just on Sundays. I went to daily mass a lot of times. Uh, yeah, and when we were kids, we used to play church with crackers, right? Like we crackers <laughs> and we'd give out communion, right? I mean, I that, and that's yeah, that's just how yeah. the old school Catholics grew up. And then you know the whole camp thing, and then you know both of us being diagnosed with cancer when our kids were similar ages, and going through that struggle, and having my, my dad died literally. Like months before I was diagnosed with cancer. And I don't think that I I know that I didn't experience the guilt or the loss that you have had experienced because I was in a different place in my life. And then the more I thought about this, it's not that we're alike, Dara. It's that you have put in your book experiences and feelings and thoughts that are universal truths for the human condition. And that's why I identified with it. It's not because you and I are good friends. It's not because we're best friends. It's not because we've been doing a podcast for years. It's not because you stalked me and met me (laughs) in a Starbucks so many years ago. It's because what you wrote is something that everybody can understand because they are probably going through it. And if they haven't yet gone through it, they're going to go through it. And that is what makes this book special.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate that so so much, a lot, so much.
0: I really was contemplating this because I felt like the second time I read it, it was as a friend, it was as somebody who knows you. And I kept thinking, oh, you know, there are so many places in this book that we could just substitute the word Dara for Garth and it would be a very similar story. And that wasn't it, it was that we all have family, we all have pain, we all have suffering, we all have joys, we have family traditions. But not everybody has the privilege to put it down on paper the way that you have. And I really can't recommend this book more.
1: Mm. You know, you asked me earlier, you said something about, like, writing this book, I'm kind of completely exposed and totally vulnerable. And even there are things that I share about my daughters that are really vulnerable. I mean, I definitely, look, they read it, or they were instructed to read it, and I told them if you don't want something, you know, if you want it taken out, I will take it out. But you know, I think at the end of the day, just kind of like where I am in my life right now, I want to be completely honest and totally authentic. And I think I'm just like in this place in my life where I'm like, if I'm not honest, what's the point? Like, what's the point of all of this, of having a podcast and talking about all this and writing if it's not real, if it can't really help people from a, a real place. Like, you know, I'm not a famous star. I'm not like in, you know, New York or California or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm just a normal person who's just at the end of the day was just totally ready to be completely transparent and honest in the hope that it will help someone else. That's it right there.
0: And, and I think that that's really evident and hope that the readers can genuinely Understand and feel that. So, I do have a napkin note for today. And uh, for those of you who might be new to the Thrive podcast, because you are seeing this promoted on social media because we're promoting Dara's book, I have been writing notes to my daughter Emma and sticking them into her lunch ever since kindergarten. And when she was in eighth grade, I was diagnosed with cancer for my third time and really freaked out and wrote all of the notes that I needed to from then until high school graduation just in case I died. And so um, I think it's, it's fair to say that I'm a prolific note writer. And obviously those parts of Dar's book, not just the suggestions to write notes, but the fact that she has this, you know, decades old relationship with people who are not even around because of these letters really resonated with me. And so I pulled up this note that I had written to Emma back in February of 2016, so well over four years ago. And the note simply says, what if you wrote a note to someone every day for the rest of your life?
1: Mm. You know, Garth, that's really what you've been doing for Emma all of these years is you've been intentionally writing to her every day so that if something were to happen to you, she would have these notes. And I knew that when you read this book, that it was going to touch your heart in a way because, you know, seeing and reading how hard it's been for me to lose my mom and not having her there probably is like touched a, God forbid if something were to happen to you, space. And would this be, really hard for Emma. And then the whole, I've been writing notes to my daughter, so she would have them if something were to happen to me, kind of like how much the letters meant to me. I mean, there's a lot there.
0: There are so many peaks and valleys when you think about it that way. And and all I can say and encourage our listeners to do is to really be intentional about writing notes or letters to people that you love. And it doesn't have to be a daily practice like I do, but I would absolutely recommend it. I want to leave our our listeners with one quick tip of my own, which is because you talk about how text messages and and email might substitute for those letters. And, And I don't disagree because I know that sometimes it's in today's world that needs to happen because a letter just isn't the right thing at the right time. But for those of you who are doing that, please make sure that you have a good backup solution in place because, you know, the nice thing about my letters, the the notes that I've received is that they're in a fireproof box in my home and they'll be safe uh, in almost any type of situation. But we all know how easy it is to lose electronic messages. And if you've said something or if somebody said something to you that you really want to hold on to, you want to do whatever you can to safeguard that. So that's my little thriving tip for the day.
1: Yeah, no, Uh, it's a good one. I mean, at the end of the day, and I say this in the book, I have a lot of really nice things in my life materialistically, but at the end of the day, it's a Ziploc bag of letters that is my greatest treasure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, Dara, thank you so much for being a guest on the Thrive Podcast. This is Thank been you so, so much wonderful. for having me. <laughs> <laughs> I I really hope that I have done your book justice as an interviewer. And I really I know that I, I say this tongue in cheek having you on as a guest, but I'm really, really happy to have you as my friend. And and to be honest, even to get to know you better than I did pre-book. For those of you who would really love to support Dara and me, um, please go to Dara's website, crazyperfectlife.com, pre-order the book, and get your five free gifts that are available for immediate download. Um, If you'd like to purchase from amazon.com or barnesandnoble.com, the books are also available for pre-order there. It comes out September 1st, and I cannot recommend this enough. It's definitely 10 out of 10 stars. Mm,
1: Thank you so much. Thank you so much.
0: It is my pleasure. Hmm. Thanks for listening. Thrive is created with the hope that we help you develop motivation and inspiration to make your life remarkable. You can find out more about me at napkinnotesdad.com.
1: I invite you to get my free audio download, Reclaim Your Life at crazyperfectlife.com with tips and tools to help you feel your best. It would mean so much to us if you shared this with your friends and family and left us a review on iTunes. Remember, you deserve to thrive. Thrive Podcast is copyrighted by Darren and Garth.